Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, this is Christine, and I am so excited to be here today as your host of episode six. As you all know, the premise of our show is that the early loss of our moms entirely shifted our lens, how we navigate the world, and who we have become. So on today's show, and in the three episodes to follow, we are going to dive deeper into the topic of the impact of early mother loss. So let's get started with episode six, the impact of early mother loss, an introduction, part one of a four-part series. This episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description. So welcome, my friends. How is everyone doing today? Good. I'm glad that we just had some time before this to even chit-chat too and catch up. So I know. feeling connected to y'all. Yes. 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 I'm feeling I'm feeling good as well after sharing everything with you all. So sorry, our listeners didn't get to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fun to watch Sarah stretching right now. (laughs) Just warming up. (laughs) Erin, how about you? Doing just fine. I'm really happy to be here. I'm also glad that we had a chance to kind of just like shake it off, connect, process earlier. So I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes, yes. Okay, you guys, I thought I would start today by giving an overview of the impact of early mother loss. So what does that mean? I found several studies on the internet, though, honestly, they, a lot of them were like, basically said that it's really challenging to conduct these studies because being able to follow someone from childhood through adulthood, uh, that being said, after kind of a brief search on the internet, I did find two studies, one that was conducted in Denmark and the other in the UK. So these studies are not specific to daughters losing their moms. Instead, they focus on children who have lost a parent before the age of 18. But I still obviously thought this is valuable for us in this Mm -hmm. conversation today. Our listeners can find more information on both studies in our show notes. With that, I'd like to share the following edited summary from the UK study. When a bereaved child's needs are not met, when there is a lack of appropriate social support for both the child and surviving parent, as well as a failure to provide clear and honest information at appropriate time points relevant to the child's level of understanding, these factors were perceived to have a negative impact in adulthood with regards to trust, relationships, self-esteem, feelings of self-worth, increased loneliness and isolation, and the ability to express feelings. Obviously, this statement is clear that the loss of a parent during childhood can result in many negative outcomes in adulthood, which we will get into more in a little bit. I also want to say, though, that after reading this, it led me to think of the death of our moms like the main event, but to also consider the many other factors that can influence how we grieve and the long-term impact of our loss. There is a lot here, but this is what I came up with as additional factors that contribute to the impact of our early losses. Our mom's cause of death. Was it a sudden death or death from a prolonged illness? 
our age, our mom's age, our personality, our individual relationship with our mom, our relationships with other family members within our nuclear family, if any, how our caregivers acknowledged or didn't acknowledge our loss, our support system outside of our nuclear family, and of course, secondary losses, including a change in home, school, friends, and finally, caregivers who might no longer be present on a regular basis. So this is a lot of information, you guys. Are there any other factors you can think of, maybe in your life or or not, that could impact a child after they experience their loss? I had a full body reaction when you were reading that, especially like the list of factors and in the way that I was able to identify every single one of those factors into the impact for me, full body, like chills, like revisiting some of that trauma. So, oof. <laughs> well, can you talk more specifically to that, Erin? I'd love to know, like, what are, what are the factors that you feel like impacted you specifically? I think that it's important to understand like the type of loss, like with sudden versus prolonged illness. Um, for me, it was sudden personally. The relationships with other family members, nuclear or extended. Um, for me, a lot of the extended. And then the child's personality, that's something that I don't think that I ever really thought of. And I think of, oh, if like I was a different person or, you know, how just me, my being, myself, how I got myself through that, how I processed that. That's wild to me to think about me as an individual person had any sort of factor into how that impacted me or how I turned out, I guess. Um, it's wild. I do want to insert <laughs> that list afterwards. Wasn't from the study. Those were things I thought about, like that these are additional factors. I think the study got me thinking, okay, what are all the possible things outside of the actual death of our moms that impacts how we navigate the rest of our lives, really. I think secondary losses is also very Mm -hmm. significant. I can identify with a lot of those secondary losses that I didn't really think about or process until later on in my life as actually being losses or affecting how I showed up in the world or how I interacted with people. I have a good example of a secondary loss that I had. So I had nannies growing up and because my dad traveled on the road and we needed to have somebody above 18 in our, in their home legally. So we had a lot of teachers and we also had good family friends or whatever. And there was specifically this one nanny who I was so close to. She was a teacher. She was like kind of more like an older sister to me. They stayed with us all the time or whatever during the week. And then they had the weekends off. But I remember one summer before school started, I was at the school doing something. She came up to me and it was like more of a nonchalant, more of a nonchalant thing that she was moving schools, like going to go teach somewhere else, which is great for her. And kind of like, so I won't be your nanny anymore. And I'm sure in her, and maybe in her head, she did think it was a big deal and she was playing it off. But I just remember being so just caught off guard and like, I have to act like, oh, good for you. But inside, I was just like, my whole world is crumbled. And I have a safe person. And I have that older sister that I felt very connected with and we could talk about and I could share. And and then all of a sudden, boom, gone. Mm-hmm. See you later. And, and we've connected since. There's like no hard feelings. 
but it was beyond heartbreaking mm-hmm. in my head. But yet I yes. felt like I had to like keep it, you know, keep it together because I didn't want her to feel bad <laughs> yeah. about leaving. So yeah. can we hone in mm-hmm. on that for a second? Like that feeling, yes. Shadia, that you just described of like, first of all, having to hide, feeling like you have to hide your pain and sadness of losing this person and then conflicting emotions, you know, like you said, of feeling you're trying to read almost how she is delivering the message to you and kind of match that, which is so conflicting with your own internal experience. Like she was excited, which makes sense. Yeah. And I wanted to be excited for her, but I was just so sad. So, and that, like that sadness, you're like suppressing Like, that's what I think about when I think about us losing our moms. Like, it's that hole, that pain, that whatever that is getting touched or poked or however it feels to you. Like, it's excruciating to not know how to express it or to feel like it's like you shouldn't be feeling. Like, that's how I feel a lot still. It's crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. to hear you say that, I'm like, yes, like, I just had that experience a week ago. Like... Not not anywhere near like what you just described with like the relationship with this nanny, but like that feeling of of loss and not knowing how to put words to it. Right. Like I didn't want it to be about me, you know, and I was like, this is about you. But anyway, it's, it's yeah. it, but even that that you were young, right? When that I mean, you had to have been what? Yeah, I was like, in high school. I yeah, think. you're like, I was going to say like 16, 15 or 17. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am curious to think about what her perception was of your connection. She, I mean, I don't even think you were probably conscious of the connection you actually felt with her in this, you know, almost motherly, sisterly way. And she's probably not even realizing that that's what she's become to you, even though, of course, she cares about you. But for you, that that's striking you as a second loss. And for her, it's like, I'm just getting a new job, you know? Yeah. It's intense. It's intense. And maybe it was a bit of a relief for her because I can imagine it wasn't easy being a nanny to a family of three children without a mom. She was in her 20s, you know, like, so I understand. See, I'm I'm even trying to empathize with her right Mm -hmm. now, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do. I I am. I, I, I feel like that is probably one of my, like, it's a weakness and it's a... Strength. Strength. Well, it's like a quality. It's a quality. Yes. Thank you. One of my qualities is that I do see all sides of it, but yet I like to then unjustify how I feel about things. Well, Mm -hmm. and I think that there's something to be said about being able to hold the duality of that. You can be happy for her and match that on a certain level, but also it's important to be able to show and to express that this is really hurtful for me because of these reasons. And I think that that should be more normalized being able to hold that duality and being able to express that because I, you know, in terms of, you know, talking about suppressing, suppressing that parts of that. So you're only showing this being happy and supportive and matching this person, but without acknowledging this suffering, this, Mm-hmm. gaping hole of loss and the secondary loss. I think that it's important to recognize duality and to be able to hold them up 
and show people that, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To acknowledge that is very important because we are very yeah, complex and loss is very complex and our interactions with people after loss are very complex. And I think that that complexity should be normalized and more acknowledged. Yeah, yeah, yes. I like it. I have another question about secondary loss. This in particular, Shadia, really strikes me. I didn't have the same experience, but definitely people in my life that I felt like I was getting closer to and then something happened and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You're not my mom. Mm -hmm. You're not going to replace her. You're not going to show up for me in the way that I need you to. And then going forward, there have been, they're mostly women, older women in my life that where like there's a possibility I feel. And then I'm like, nope, shutting it off. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to open myself to it because I know I'm going to be disappointed or I know I'm going to get hurt. Everyone's shaking Mm -hmm. their heads. Yes. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Trying so hard not to be like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm." (laughs) No, I do. So can anyone speak to that? Yeah. I think for me, I can specifically think of like other family members Um, I have a large extended family on my mom's side, cousins, aunts and uncles, things like that. And as I've spoken to before, I lived with an aunt and uncle and my three younger cousins after she died. Um, And we spoke earlier to like secondary loss of like having to move homes. That happened almost immediately for me. Like my entire house was packed up without me being there, without my knowledge at school one day. And like, I moved there like right after the funeral a few days later, like it was, that was very traumatic. So like losing your home in safe space, super traumatic. That's a huge secondary loss for me. Um, but then developing the relationships with people of like, oh, this feels really motherly. Um, and it makes me feel good. And then something happens where they don't act like a mother because they're not, you know, I realized after, you know, many years and processing these things in therapy and self-soothing and stuff that I shouldn't have to expect someone to show up to me as a mother. That's not something that is necessarily their responsibility. But I remember so many instances of being disappointed in family members specifically in not showing up like physically at at a performance or like something that I had going on in my teenage years or emotionally there for me or walking me through how to do a difficult task as an adult and just feeling like abandoned again sometimes because I wanted someone to do those things for me and I needed someone to do those things for me. That emotional support, just showing up physically for something um, and it not happening time again, time and again, time and again, throughout the years, I've had to really reckon with that a lot and continue to like foster relationships with those family members and those people and hold space for forgiveness and everything like that. But it it was really hard, especially as a teenager and a young adult, just being disappointed over and over again, Mm -hmm. and then distancing yourself because I don't want to get hurt. Because I I can ask for this emotional support. I can ask for you to be here for me, but you're not going to do it just like all those other times. And so I stopped asking after a while. I just cut myself off for a long time. And I don't know if that hindered me or helped me because that was another layer of hardship. But yeah, you just cut yourself off after a while. You just really distance yourself. 
And even now, I want to say that I don't like being rejected or disappointed. There's so many times now in my life that I don't even ask people for something because, well, maybe because I don't really want the help, but also because I'm so afraid that I'm going to interrupt their life or interfere in it, or they actually want to say no, but they say yes. And it just puts me in like this awkward situation when, when, and knowing that everybody generally wants to help out, right? I want to help people, but the thought of somebody rejecting me in a simple response, I, I just can't even handle sometimes. Or I feel like... You guys feel that way? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I yeah. feel like even like going along with like those feelings, like knowing that like if you ask this of this person... They're just going to feel like it's an obligation, almost in a pitying way. We've mentioned those mm-hmm. kind of feelings before. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and but- growing up, like I resonate, everything ev- you've all said resonates. And additionally, in my experience, like I, I was moved around between a lot of different homes after my mom died. And so I've constantly felt like I've been a guest in almost like a burden some way. Like I've always had this mentality that my existence is somehow a burden to others because no one has to take care of me. Everyone has done it. I mean, by choice, which actually is a recent reframe that I've had, which has helped me have more gratitude around, you know, the idea that people have chosen to take Mm -hmm. care of me opposed to being like, quote unquote, you know, like forced or obligated. But growing up, I definitely did not see it that way. I felt like I had, I didn't belong anywhere and people were just kind of like doing me a favor constantly. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, what comes up for me when I hear all of, you know, this conversation is like two words, one like resilience and then also attachment, two things I've been super fascinated by. But in terms of, you know, you're all saying like you had this support um, or Shadi, like it's hard for you to ask for support and Aaron, like you had people or you, you were looking for support and didn't get it. I feel like I was offered so much support and I really struggle to, like, I will physically accept it, but emotionally, like you were saying, Christine, like there is something in me that just refuses to form another attachment as closely as I did with my mom. And I just had this conversation with my boyfriend, Tony, like two nights ago, like it's so hard to explain, but it's like falling in love and letting yourself be close. Letting myself be close is one of the hardest things Mm. like in the world. And I just want him to know that so he can appreciate kind of the struggle. Nodding heads, a lot of nodding heads here. I, I just have been thinking about this so much having just recently been divorced, but I really, in the last couple of days, have been thinking about this concept of allowing myself to be truly loved. I don't think I have ever really allowed it. I'm serious. I mean, like, really, truly open myself to, like, be vulnerable in that way and to let someone care for me in the way that, you know, I think that that can that can exist in a, in a romantic partnership and... Ah, wow. Yeah, that really resonated, Sarah. I want to circle back to love, and we're going to talk about relationships in in a future episode. Erin, you were talking about how you know that, like, people in your life 
they don't have to do this thing for you, right? They don't have to. And then, you know, having that really end up, you end up being disappointed though, regardless. It, even having that knowledge, like I know they're not responsible in this way, you still end up feeling disappointed. But I really want to use a different word for disappointment. And I want to call that grief because it, it, I don't think it's just disappointment. I think it is grief again and again and call again. a spade a spade it, it is yeah. grief mm-hmm. and it is trauma and yeah absolutely and i think i think for me like a big part of my personal issue with it like things that i could have done better is asking directly for what i needed but i was a teenager and emotionally underdeveloped and stunted also because of the trauma and the grief And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And even now, like I struggle to ask for help, especially emotionally, like, you know, sure. Help me out with this like physical thing, but you know, having you get close and everything. And I think that is now piled on by the disappointments or I'm sorry, the grief, (laughs) you know, if we're reframing it of, you know, people not showing up for me when I did need it and like abuse that happened emotionally in romantic relationships for me through my young adult life, that has been more grief and trauma that's piled onto that, that I continue to work through. But I could have done a better job of actually asking for it. And I'm certain that family members and people that loved me in my life would have done it. But I think I still had this fear of them seeing it as an obligation or, well, her mom's not here to do it, so we better do it. Or, well, she has a dead mom, so never wanting to be the girl that just had a dead mom. And I just never asked for help. And that was a pattern that I started immediately and that just continued through my life, not being direct with what I needed for emotional support. Um, and that, And it really hindered me in other relationships. And it's something that like, I mean, I talk about with my partner, Keith, like a lot. That's something that we continue to discuss in our relationship. Um, And I try and be very direct and I try to explain why I'm being very direct because it's something that I need to do to continue to heal myself from that continuous grief and continuous trauma that happened. Think about though what you're saying as far as like, I didn't ask for what I needed. I mean, when you think about you as a 16-year-old or me as a 15-year-old, Shadi as a 13-year-old. Sarah as a four and a half year old, like we, we, we didn't know that we were supposed, I mean, that's a, that's a ginormous shift in what was known to us. And we wouldn't have understood that's what we should have even done. Right. For the people who are listening to this and they didn't lose their moms, but they are associated with somebody who did. So maybe it's a friend or whoever it is. I think that they are listening, thinking, well, what, what should I have done? What should I be doing now? Do you know what I mean? Like, what would have been the right thing to do? Like, if I wasn't, if I didn't show up for them or if I didn't give them what they needed, like, that's maybe what I'm kind of thinking that audience is thinking right now. So I don't know if there's something that a therapist told me, something that was very wise and comforting in response to what you just said, Shadia, was the sentiment essentially that like no one could have given me or any of us what we needed. I don't think it just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of looking at it, like giving, you know, yourself a break a little bit, like anyone, like you can't fix that. 
when I first talked about my loss openly with, you know, anybody hearing it, maybe it was a podcast. I can't remember what it was, but I had so many of like my mom's friends come up to me and say, you know, we, we did the best we could. I'm, you know, like, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know what you needed. And, and then that made me, I mean, I appreciated that they said that, but it also made me feel, I can't put it into words. It made me feel mm. guilty for even putting it out there. Cause I don't like other people feeling bad. Yeah. You know, because I know they did. I want to speak to this a little bit too. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think that I think that it's important to remember that if you at one point in your life were around a motherless child and you were trying to support if you're a friend or a family member, I know as a motherless daughter, I'm like, there is nothing that anyone can do to change what happened. And I try so hard not to dwell on that because we can't change it. It is what it is, and everything happened. Um, everything happened the way that it happened. We have to be present now in order to move forward with that. And in terms of having those conversations now, maybe, maybe now you're coming back to it and you want to say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I did the best that I could." I think that it's. I think it's important to use your words carefully and to not center yourself in terms of that forgiveness conversation. I think that it's important as human beings to understand that like we are self-centered beings and that happens automatically and we want to apologize and we want to ask for forgiveness, but sometimes that can cause the person to feel guilt. We don't put that on us. You should not put the guilt on that person who has been suffering. I think it's also important for us to check our egos and to understand that sometimes we contribute to someone's trauma and their grief. And we have to acknowledge that first and foremost within ourselves. We have to check our ego at the door and understand that we probably contributed to that and write that within ourselves, however necessary. And it's okay to have conversations where you apologize for that. You know, hey, I'm sorry if I didn't do enough, or I'm sorry that this happened. I recognize now that it probably wasn't good to do, but we can't dwell on that. So moving the conversation along of like, how can I support you now? How do we want to move forward with this relationship? Is there anything you need from me? Do you need me to acknowledge something? Like asking us as the motherless daughter, as the person who suffered, as this person who endured trauma and grief, because that centers us versus you centering yourself. So like being curious, asking questions and checking your ego, knowing that you probably contributed to some trauma and grief. I know that I've contributed to other people's trauma and grief. I can say that. And it's okay because we are flawed human beings and it's really hard. <laughs> Life is really hard and these events are really hard. So like, I think that it's important to be very intentional with these conversations that you have with this person that you tried to support afterwards and decentering yourself and understanding that you probably contributed. To also to add to that, it, you know, as an adult, looking back at myself as a, a child, as a teenager, and knowing that the way that people behaved wasn't about me. So it's also decentering myself as a child and, and really what the behavior of those around me was about their trauma or their inability to connect or their 
whatever, you know, their perspective. And, and I, I think knowing that is really powerful. There's a release there then that, you know, maybe of anger or hurt or sadness where I can say, okay, that, that actually wasn't about me. You guys, I want to get into actually about how children grieve. I think it's really important for us as adults now, but maybe listeners that are adults um, who are witnessing a child grieving, um, that grief can look very, very different for kids than it does for adults. And so it can look like stomach aches, headaches, anxiety, anger, or sadness in intense spurts, uh, maybe some isolation. But all of us know that what largely comes up is being avoidant, acting like nothing happened. And I think that can be really confusing for adults, and they can misinterpret that and think that, oh, they're fine, so I'm not going to bring it up uh, because they seem to be okay, and I don't want to upset them. or, or right, I don't want to yeah. push them, or I don't want to, yeah. Yeah. Looking back on your experience, obviously, I know all of us has, have talked about being avoidant. Um, you know, in your lives, what do you feel like your grief responses were? And then how did the adults around you respond to you? I was originally, well, I was four and a half, so I was extremely avoidant. I like that. It's interesting you use that word because I'm just now using that. I'm just now kind of recognizing that's what I do now, actually, as a response to my grief. But as a child, it was very like a natural state of my development. You know, it's like I was four and a half. I was playing. I was being silly. I was, um, I, I don't think anyone could really tell. It's making me really like think back to how I acted as a four and a half year old and a five year old. And like, at what age did the grief start to like show up more? Because I consciously remember um, getting stomach aches like very regularly throughout childhood. Um, I would get these excruciating stomach aches that would last for like like at least two hours. It was crazy. I would have to go home from school. I think I mentioned this to you all before, but I practically lived in the nurse's office in like elementary and middle school. I loved being taken care of by doctors. Um, and nurses. I loved the doctor, the dentist. These stomach aches would like, I'd have to lay down and like, I remember I'd hold my breath. I'd be in like the fetal position. I didn't know what it was from at the time. I thought maybe it was like something I ate. They seemed really random at the time. And I talked to my doctor about them. They thought it was maybe food stuff, but I now know that it's anxiety um, because I start to get them. I can stop them. And it's insane. Like I feel them coming on and I just, I name it like I, and we can get into that a whole nother time. That's like, I've learned how to cope with my anxiety and just recognizing it has helped me cope with it, but it showed up in so many different ways, but I'm just going to talk about the stomach aches. Cause that was like my prime. I think it's really interesting though, that you talk about loving being cared for by mm -hmm. doctors and nurses. Like it's really, it's really tender and sad. And also I'm glad that you were cared for. I, I don't know. It's, mm -hmm. it's tricky. Mm -hmm. it, it developed a little into like hypochondria in a way because I wanted, I, I found that I got that attention mm. if I was sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was 13 when my mom died, but she was 10, or I was 10 when she got sick. 
Really, I would say I avoided, but I also leaned so hard on relationships. I was really into boys. Um, I think they were like fulfilling a void that I wasn't getting from my mom. I actually remember this boy that I liked at the time when she died. We went to a movie, like I think that weekend or something. And I ended up telling him all about my mom dying while we're in the movie theater, watching the movie. Like, like I didn't, I didn't want to actually talk about it. But then when I was in a place that nobody could see my face and the lights were down, that's when I told him that just shows my 13 year old self. And then I remember like, even at my mom's funeral, I was more absorbed into who was all going to be there for my friends like it, like it was a social outing, right? <laughs> oh, me too. I just want to say me too. Yeah. I was like, there was a boy that I was like in love with and he was there and I was obsessed over the fact that yeah. he was there during my mother's funeral. Same yes. girl. <laughs> same. Same. Yeah. I remember that too. Uh, oh looking up God. in the balcony and being like, he's here. Beyond that, I know it's so, it like really makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, like wow. Beyond that, I just ha- always had such a good, a good group of friends and I lived kind of not lived at their homes, but I spent a lot of time at their homes and we grew up in a small town. So that's what we did. We just all hung out. And so as much as like, yeah, I avoided it. I also had a really good structure of friends and their parents that weren't really going to allow me to like go down a wrong path, to tell you the truth. As much as they weren't parenting me, they were all really looking out for me. And I really leaned on them for that. But yet I didn't want them to ever think I was weak too. So it's not like I, I don't like recall, you know, crying at their house or anything like that. I just, I still kept all that emotion in, but I would say relationships are how I got through. I was going to ask, so was there any mention, even if you weren't bringing her up, did those families, your friends and their parents ever bring your mom up or ask you how you were feeling? Not a lot. Um, I remember a couple of my mom's friends would briefly talk about her, but no, it wasn't like an open conversation. One of my friend's moms was a motherless daughter. And I remember one time I just had terrible cramps, like just so sick. And she came and picked me up. And now I just think about like, that would be picking up some, you know, like my little or whatever and girls rise up and like comforting and taking care of. And like the emotions that actually probably brought up for her. Mm-hmm. I think for me, a lot of it was being avoidant and family either taking that as, oh, she's fine. Or she doesn't want to talk about this tiptoe around her. Don't, don't upset her. Um, because I was really volatile too. They came out in anger and lashing out and outbursts like that. Spent a lot of time fighting with that aunt and uncle that I lived with pushing back even on things as menial as like their house rules, like curfew and stuff like that. Because I was, I was so pissed that people were trying to parent me when you're not my parents and my mom's rules had been different And how dare you try to change this? So many things have already changed. Just let me have, just let me have a later curfew. Just let me go see my boyfriend. Let me go hang out with my friends. Relationships and friendships were huge for me. So many people from my school, like teachers and my friends showed up for the funeral. I remember spending, like loving that they were there. And I think for me, it was just because like, I always held those 
relationships so dear to my heart. And I remember after the funeral, it was like, you have like the little like potluck and like you eat food. I identify them as like menial traditions around funerals. I have a huge problem with that. Huge problem. And how it just forces you to like compose yourself in a moment of tragedy. So those are happening. And I remember like just speaking and trying to be around a lot of my friends because in that moment, it made me feel safe. This is my created family. And I was a teenager. You love your friends more. Like you, uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. In my 16 year old brain, like it makes sense psychologically. And I remember I rode with my aunt and my grandmother to the burial. After the funeral, we went to the burial site, which is at a different church. And on the drive, my grandma said, and I recognize it so much as my grandma grieving in her own way. And I have no hard feelings and this is no disrespect, but she, she said, um, well, Aaron, I just feel like you spent a lot of time, um, with your friends at the funeral. And I just wish that you would have gone and spoken to some of your family members, um, that were there. You didn't even say hi to a few of them. I was in the back seat. My grandma's in the passenger seat. My aunt was driving. And I just remember I didn't say anything. And my aunt looked at me in the rear view mirror and she just mouthed the words, I'm sorry. That was not the aunt that I lived with. That was a different aunt who I still remained very close to and everything. But so that moment of like this person's grief coming out on me and her recognizing that that was it wasn't okay and apologizing That's a lot but i you know i spent so much time like with boys and i had a boyfriend at the time when my mom died i remember a very specific incident where a month after my mom died he told me after school one day he went to a different school than i did um but he picked me up from school and we were going to hang out and he had confessed that he cheated on me at a party and I had this moment where I was sitting in the car and I remember it specifically. And it was it was one of those moments that you have in life where you can choose one of two directions to go in. Like a catalyst moment where you can choose. And I actively chose to, no, let, let's keep hanging out. I forgive you. Let's go. When I was like, I could leave this car right now. I could dramatically leave the car and say, F you. And I could go home. But I didn't. I kept dating him through high school and like my entire senior year almost I was cheating on him with one of my guy friends like relationship drama city not even to mention all of the dating and relationships and a couple really emotionally abusive relationships that I got myself into in my early 20s lots of relationship drama for me over here but very specifically after that like having all of that and I You know, I I look back at it now being like, I felt so good in having this romantic relationship and being close to this person because I didn't have to, like, I didn't have to be vulnerable in front of family. It was like a distraction to be loved in whatever tiny, insignificant way, because clearly this person didn't love me because they hurt me so much. And then seeking it out in this other friend that I started sleeping with and stuff. And it's just like seeking it out because it was so validating. I just wanted that in a way that that wasn't addressing my grief because I was avoiding it. And then just seeking out the validation in these other really harmful ways that hurt me and hurt other people and just like had a snowball effect. Yeah. I'm losing my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It really resonates for me Mm -hmm. too. 
especially just continuing to go back to unhealthy relationships and feeling like I'm going to, the hole is going to be filled by these partners that are not a good match Mm -hmm. at all. And many, like, you know, many, many partners. Mm -hmm. Well, not that many. I don't want to sound (laughs) like, (laughs) okay. Between uh, all of us, between all of us, many, many partners. But even so, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. okay. We can be, we can be slutty. (laughs) There is no slut shaming in this space. This is a safe space. No slut shame free place. (laughs) Yeah. We need to wrap up here soon, but there's one message I need to send to our listeners right now. And whether you are witnessing a child who is grieving or an adult who is grieving, talking about that person's person is so critical. So even if it feels like you're going to upset the person or it might be uncomfortable for you, move through it and ask them about their person. Open the conversation because we want to talk about our moms. I'm going to say 31 years later, I want to talk about my mom. I want you to be curious about my mom and my loss and how that felt for me. And I know all of us feel the same here. So I just want to encourage you, please, please do that for the grieving people in your lives. There's so much more I wanted to cover here, you guys. And I think I have to ask you before we go, we know that the loss has impacted us all in really major ways. Um, And as we've gotten older, we've touched on a lot about relationships, actually, more than I was thinking we would today. Um, So it's obviously that can come up. There can be mental health issues that come up for us, boundaries, hyper-independence, and so I'm wondering if each of you can share what you feel like, maybe maybe a, a couple of those ways that you feel like it's shown up most for you. And then I'm going to tell you about our upcoming episodes that are going to touch on these things. So in what ways do you feel like your loss has most impacted you? Your mental health, boundaries, et cetera. Mental health. I'm going to put it at the top of the list because it has become my profession as well as something I'm trying to um, understand more personally. But anxiety, trauma, depression, attachment issues, substance abuse, fierceness. (laughs) Shadia. I feel like for me, I don't have a full running list, but the couple things that I think about are my relationships as a whole have been highly impacted by my loss, which we'll get into later. And then I am, what did you say? The independence, like hyper independence, hyper independence. I mean, that is, I think that makes me very successful in my career and it also sets me back in my relationships. So I feel like Mm. those two things. Yeah. Interesting how that can be a positive and a negative. Yeah. Yeah. Erin, what are you thinking? Um, Boundaries is at the top of the list for me. Um, Always has been, always will be. It's how like navigating that is how I have taken time in my life to learn how to use healthy coping skills and self-soothe and show up for myself when no one else will. But that has also led to hyper-independence but it really always comes back to boundaries, number one, because it's how I've built 
this life that I have created for myself. It's how I choose to show up in the world. It's how I've gotten myself out of reckless choices and abusive relationships and how I've kind of, um, become my own person. Um, so boundaries, number one, hyper-independence and definitely mental health as well. Been a struggle. Yeah. Agree. Mental health for sure. And boundaries, hyper-independence. I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation in our upcoming episodes. I want to let all of you know, each of our experiences are of course unique and how we navigate our grief can be so different. And the impact of our loss is, is different for all of us. And just know that all of it is normal. All of it is normal. Sadly, our time has come to an end today, but I want to thank my co-hosts so much for your willingness to share your stories and insights. I'm so looking forward to our upcoming episodes as we continue to explore the impact of early mother loss. Part two will focus on mental health, part three, boundaries, and part four, relationships, including familial, friendships, and intimate relationships. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. Our next episode, The Impact of Early Mother Loss, Part 2, Mental Health, will be available on June 22nd. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. Take care of yourselves, and remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open. If you share your story, it will get better, though it doesn't feel like ever, and you'll get stronger. It's a journey we'll get through together.